Brother Joseph and I were talking this week as I stepped into his office for a few minutes. And we were talking about something I said a couple of weeks ago about preaching some of my favorite sermons. And I said, I just can't get to that. And we've discussed for a while how rich, how very rich the book of Galatians is. And how much we learn of God's wonderful grace, his love, his provisions, and his will for us as his children. And so we're back in Galatians again this morning in the the third chapter still. And we'll be looking at verses 15 through 18 of the third chapter of the book of Galatians. You stay with me. I have a lot to say this morning. Thank you, Brother Tommy, for giving me an extra five minutes uh, at this time. But I have a lot I want to share with you, and I want you to listen closely. This is probably the most powerful and richest portion of the book of Galatians. It has more meaning, is more impactful to the Christian's life who really takes it and follows it, understands it, and believes what God has done for us and what he's offered to us. What a rich text. You follow on the printed page. As I read aloud, beginning with verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's government. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now Abraham... And his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, capital S, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before uh, by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, we've done a lot of preaching and, and talking about this book and about God's wonderful grace in the past. But I want us to zero in on that as we look at this passage of Scripture that he gives to us. Those are powerful, wonderful words that God gave us through the Apostle Paul. And they center around one word. That word is covenant. Covenant. Well, sometimes we think that a covenant is an agreement. And while that is true, a covenant with God is more than just an agreement. There are people who have contracted to do certain things, and as a result result of doing those certain things, they will receive certain things. A covenant is partially is an agreement. A covenant can be as a contract doing this, and you'll get paid for it. But in the Bible, 
The word covenant means much more than just a contract or a promise because it is based upon the idea of a promise from God, from the very God of all, the one who speaks nothing but truth, and it is a promise from him. Sometimes we hear marriage spoken of as a covenant. A man and a woman will make a promise or a set of promises to each other. They promise to love and to honor and to cherish one another. They promise to forsake all others and keep themselves only for their mate for the rest of their life. That's a covenant. It's a group of promises made. But today, they're easily broken. Today, promises, covenants don't seem to mean a whole lot. The marriage covenant has become a very trivial thing, even to the point that it's just a certificate. It's just a piece of paper that you each sign. You don't even have to go through any kind of a ceremony. Even the, the, the probate judge generally does no ceremony at all. Sometimes some of them will at the request of a couple that want the probate judge to marry them. But for the most part, that's not even done anymore. And in our culture today in America, in, the, in, the, in Alabama, I should say, a man and a woman can go one or the other, not even both of them, to the courthouse, get the license to be married, and they can sign that license somewhere else as long as it is a notary public that will notarize it. They sign that, and they both don't have to go to the courthouse either time. One can take that signed paper back to the courthouse. It is recorded in the county records, and they are married. They have become a married couple. That's not the way it used to be. That's not what I am accustomed to. I'm accustomed to folks going and getting their license to get married, and it is not fulfilled, it is not completed until they had a ceremony. It could be done by the justice of the peace or by the probate judge or their pastor, but it had to be someone that was approved by the state being an ordained licensed minister in order to fulfill that covenant they were making and for them to be married. And that pastor had to sign that, that marriage license, that he had, he had completed that marriage on a certain day, at a certain time, in a certain place. And he put all of that stuff down. And then he had to put his name and what his title was and where he served and would be mailed back in to the probate judge. And it would be recorded then as a covenant that has been made, understanding being made before a holy God to be a husband and a wife. A covenant is a group of promises. We've seen people that will enter into that kind of a relationship. It could be in a business deal. 
It could be a construction site that's going to be taken care of and a building's going to be a building. But they enter into a set of promises. But today, covenants are often broken. As I said, the marriage covenant has become a trivial thing. But Paul uses a parable about a covenant as we look at it in verse 15. He says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men. In other words, Paul says, I'm going to use a real life story to illustrate a spiritual truth. That's called a parable. Jesus taught in parables all during his earthly ministry. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is a story about life in everyday life of the flesh, but with a spiritual application. And Jesus often used parables to teach great truths. Paul says, I'm going to use a life story to illustrate a spiritual truth. Paul uses a parable. He draws something out of everyday life and uses it in a spiritual application to help those churches throughout Galatia to understand what it is to be saved, what it is to be a part of the family of God, what it is to have everlasting life, what it is to have a covenant relationship with the holy God. He uses it to describe a spiritual experience when someone comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, he might not would have drawn the same parable if he had been speaking today. He might would have used something different. But in that day, they understood that when a covenant was made, it could not be broken. So the word covenant here better refers to what you and I would call the person's last will and testament. That once that has been recorded... And once it has gone into effect, now when does a will go into effect? At death. And once it goes into effect, nothing can be changed about it. It is forever sealed. Now some folks don't realize that. Matter of fact, I've had to deal with a family at one time years ago that their loved one left in their will that certain things were to be given to the local church. And he specified what things were to be divided among the family members. What he gave to the local church was a sum of money. But the family members realized that they were going to have to do some work and fix up the old home place, and they were going to have to do some work and hire somebody to sell it and pay a real estate agent, and they realized all of that, that they weren't going to realize the amount of money once they divided it up that they would have had had they gotten the money, and they contacted me wanting to know if the church would be willing to change with them, to swap with them. Would we take the property and everything else that the person had left and let them have the money? 
that if we fixed up the property and sold it for a lot of money, we would have more anyway in the church than we would have had by getting the money. Well, I, I, I didn't give them an answer. I thought I'd think about that, and I didn't think it was the way it could be done, but I, I told them I'd talk to the church leadership about it. Well, before, back in those days, back before I ever got to talk to the church leadership, the family member called me back and said, forget it. I said, what? Forget it. The judge of probate said, I can't change anything about the will. That if it specified money goes to the church and money goes to the church, if it specifies the house goes to me, the house goes to me, we can't change that. It will be taken care of. It will be divided up precisely the way that dad left it. Now, Paul is using this kind of an illustration that we would understand about a last will and testament, that it cannot be changed. Paul uses that very practical illustration to describe the covenant relationship we have with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for us. He uses it showing how we are recipients of the covenant of God toward us made to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. What was the covenant God made to Abraham? Look at verse 16 right here. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. You see, everything that you and I have is the same thing God promised Abraham. What was the covenant God made with Abraham? Well, you have to go back to Genesis, and if you'd like to turn there, we'll start in chapter 12, but I'll read it to you. Chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if we look far further in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis, this is what God says. When Abram was 99 years old, almost as old as me, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between you and me and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be 
God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And in the third thing in that covenant God made with Abraham, you find in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abram and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, God, I want to tell you, I just want to tell you, God already knew what Abraham would do. God wasn't just testing to see what Abraham would do. God knows everything. It wasn't any surprise to God that Abraham did what he told him to do, for he knew his heart, he knew the covenant he had made with him, he knew the promise that he had made with him, and he knew exactly what Abraham was going to do. God was not trying to discover whether or not Abraham would do it. God was showing Abraham who he was. He was proving to Abraham that he was faithful. He wanted Abraham to know what Abraham would do. He wanted Abraham to know that, but that he needed to know he would be faithful. He needed Abraham to understand that, that he had entered into that covenant relationship with God and that he was going to do everything God would tell him to do. So God stopped him from finishing the deed of taking his own son's life. And he says, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 22 of Genesis, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed, single, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, there are those are the three times in the book of Genesis where the covenant that God made with Abraham is given, explained a little further each time, given a little more information each time, but it all comes to fruition in Abraham's life as it was first promised by God in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. It's told in chapter 12, chapter 17, and chapter 22 of Genesis. God reiterated the covenant each time to remind Abraham that he was faithful and to remind Abraham that Abraham was going to be faithful and the covenant relationship would never be broken. It was set for eternity as he gave it to Abraham and God would make sure, because he's God, he's able to make sure that it would be carried out and God made with Abraham this covenant. 
But I want us to notice this morning for the next few minutes some things that are a part of this covenant. Number one, the covenant that God made with Abraham was a covenant based upon grace. That's very important. Why did God choose Abraham? Was it because Abraham had been living a great life? Is it because Abraham had touched so many lives through his faithful living? Was it because of something God saw in Abraham? Absolutely not. No mention of Abraham being deserving of God calling him out. No mention of Abraham's life being that that God would choose him because of his goodness and because of his faithfulness. He chose Abraham because he's sovereign God. It was a matter of God's sovereignty that he chose him and told him what that covenant would be. It was a covenant of grace, I want you to notice. There is no mention of conditions. There are no mentions to Abraham, if you do this, I'll do that. If this takes place, this is what you get. If you don't do it, this is what will happen to you. There are no, no conditions to it. God simply entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham because he wanted to as a matter, here it is, as a matter of grace. God is a gracious God. God is a loving God. God is a faithful God. And God wants to extend his grace to lost humanity. He extended his grace to me in my life. He has extended his grace to you in your life. And we have to understand, we did nothing to be saved. We did nothing to merit God's grace. We did nothing to earn eternal security in Christ Jesus. We did nothing to be able to go to heaven when we leave this life. It is all God's wonderful, amazing, sovereign grace that has been extended to us that we have life and we have life eternally. The second thing, the covenant that God made with Abraham a covenant of grace, was ratified or made effective on the basis of Abraham's faith. It was made effective on the basis of Abraham's faith. It was ratified, if I could say it that way, by faith. In Genesis 12, listen to it. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Verse 4, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. What is faith? Well, it's not what some people think it is. Through all of my years of ministry, I cannot tell you the number of times I've run in to false faith. I've run into folks that say they're exercising faith when they're actually exercising foolishness. 
Somebody will tell me, I've decided to do this for God. I've decided I'm going to do this. And I, what they're saying to, to me and to others, I've decided I'm going to make a fool out of myself. Showing God I can do what I want to do for him. You see, God doesn't work that way. If God has not told you, if God has not revealed to you through his word. Now, let me just take a moment and chase a rabbit. God's word is complete. It is finished. Nothing can be added to the word of God. Nothing is to be read into the word of God. Nothing is to be removed from the word of God. It is absolutely a finished work. He has spoken and nothing is to be added to it. But we have a problem with that. We want to add our wants to, to it. We want to add our, what we consider our gifts or our talents to it. And we're going to do this for God and we're going to do that for God. And we wind up doing no more than making a fool out of ourselves, a laughingstock, a failure. Because faith is simply following the plan of God and letting him give the directions. Listen, the scripture says faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. That's how you hear and exercise faith. It's on the word of God. Abraham could have left Ur of the Chaldees any day he wanted to leave. Faith would have had nothing to do with it. But when God said to him, Abraham, I want you to leave this land. I want you to leave your parents. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to follow me to a land you don't even know where it is. I want you to follow me to the land that I have to give you. The Bible says, so Abraham, or Abram at that time, departed as the Lord had spoken to him. That's faith. Faith is not doing something foolish for God. Faith is heeding, obeying, following, doing what God has already said. If we can get that into our finite minds, understand if you want to know God's will, it's recorded right here in the book. If you want to know how you're to live, read the book. If you want to know what you're to do in circumstances and situations, read the book that God's given to us, his word and his word. And he tells us, listen, he's not left it for our own interpretation. He says, if you'll get in the word, what does he say? And the Holy Spirit of God will remind you, teach you all things that I've said. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit when we get saved. He leads us. He teaches us. He reveals to us the word of God and the application of the word of God through his Holy Spirit it is all God working in our lives not us trying to do something for God is walking in obedience to God look over you can just jot it down but 
Hebrews chapter 11, where we know of the great hall of faith that is listed there. And listen to what it says in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place or to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, you ready? Not knowing where he was going. God spoke. Abraham heard. Abraham obeyed. And God says, that's faith. For by faith, Abraham did it. Go went out just following God's directive. It didn't matter where it was going. It didn't matter what the payment might be. It didn't matter what the struggles may be and what would happen and what he may have to walk through. All that mattered was who promised to be with him. You leave here and I will show you the land. Faith is heeding. It is obeying. By faith, Abraham obeyed. All that mattered, as I said, is who he was going with. All that mattered is who was with him. I remember when I was a little boy, I was probably 10 years old. My dad walked through the kitchen. I was sitting there playing a card game with my two younger sisters. He said, he called me Doki. He said, Doki, you want to go with me? And I looked up and I said, well, where are you going? He said, son, that's not the question I asked. Just forget it. And I looked. He said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to go to the store, if you wanted to go to the farm or whatever. He says, I asked you, did you want to go with me? That's what God asked you. He didn't ask you if you want to go to heaven. He didn't ask you if you want to go into the ministry. He doesn't ask you if you want to go into a marriage. He asks you, you want to go with me? You want to follow me? You want to be mine? Faith is heeding, obeying, doing what God has already said. And so the covenant that God made with Abraham was on the basis of grace and it was ratified by faith that Abraham walked in. Number three, the covenant was permanent and unchanging. Galatians that we're studying in 3, verse 15, it says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, 
Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Then in verse 17, he says that which is supposed to be true of an earthly covenant is true about a heavenly covenant. You see, sometimes men, humans, break covenants. Why? Because we're sinful. Because we're prone to err and make wrong choices. Men can be liars, as I say, men, the human race. But God never breaks a covenant, for God is not sinful, and God never lies. Verse 17, And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. Now, some were saying that the law that came 400 years after Abraham received the covenant of God was replaced, that covenant was replaced by the law. God gave the covenant of grace before 400 years prior to him giving the law to Moses. There were no Levitical laws when the Ten Commandments were first given. There were no Levitical laws when God spoke to Abram and called him Abraham. You see, it was a covenant relationship that God made with him on the basis of faith. And so Abraham received the covenant and walked by faith, trusting God. He believed God and he acted. And it is a covenant that cannot and will not ever be canceled. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the covenant he made with Abraham is still in force today when we have the grace of God that is applied in our lives. God never changed his covenant of grace. It was ratified by Abraham's faith, and once it went into existence, God has never changed. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and God will never cancel that covenant that he made with Abraham. Number four, and this is the most important, the covenant was of grace. It was ratified by faith. It was permanent and unchanging. And it had both physical and spiritual fulfillment. What God says through Paul in the book of Galatians 3 is powerful. I want to read it to you. In verse 19 again what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions 
till the seed, capital S, to the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now look back at verse 16, Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, now to the seeds of, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. That wasn't my words. That's right straight out of the word of God. Galatians 3.16. Paul explains that. That God never said the plural word seeds. Now I know the word seed is a, uh, is a compound word that, or not a compound word. I forget what the expression is, Karen. What is it? It's not a plural word. It is a singular word, but it has plural connotations to it i don't know what that's called but that that's what it is uh and and so as we talk about we are god's people it's only those that are in god that are his people and we are singularly belonging to god we are his and he is our god seed should come to whom the promise was made it says and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, Paul goes on to explain, and to your seed, capital S, who is Christ? Who is Christ? You might say, wait a minute, Brother Rick. You think the Holy Spirit of God is ignorant? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you think Paul's just a little mixed up here? I want to tell you, some liberals write commentaries and have a field day. Boy, they insult Paul. I mean, there are those that actually attack Paul in this state, statement, and they assassinate his character. Brother Seed, Brother Rick, Seed is a collective noun. That's what I was trying to think of. It is a collective noun go back to Genesis 12 Genesis 12 I want you to get this what did God promise Abraham now the Lord had said to Abram get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you all right what did God promise a land. Secondly, Genesis 12, 2, and I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. What was the second promise of greatness, of blessing? Promise number three, I'm going to make you a source of blessing. Look at the last part of verse two, and you shall be a blessing and I will bless them that bless you or thee and curse them who curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, that's the covenant God made with Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you greatness, great nation, great name. And I'm going to make you a source of blessing. There's the covenant. 
land, greatness, source of blessing. And God says, I'm going to make this with you and your seed. Physically, seed refers to many. Physically, this refers to Isaac and the whole nation of Israel. What was the son born to Abraham and Sarah? What was his name? Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's seed. And through Isaac came the whole nation of Israel. And to the whole nation of Israel is Abraham's seed physically. That is the physical answer. But number two, God said, I'm going to give you greatness. They are great. You know that for every Jew in Israel, there are about 50 Arabs. Did you know that? Why don't the Arabs attack? Why don't the surrounding countries attack Israel, destroy them? Because they're not great. They're great in number, but they're not Israel. God says, I'm going to make you great. And he's kept, kept them great, great, and he's kept them safe. Do you think Israel needs a miracle to, to defend it? No, it doesn't need us. Let me tell you, America needs Israel that we defend them, that God blesses us along with them. But thirdly, that's just a side note. God said, I'm going to let you be a source of blessing. Man, the world has been blessed by the nation of Israel. It was through the nation of Israel that Jesus came. It is through the nation of Israel that the law came. It was through the nation of Israel that the Bible came to be. God has blessed the world through the nation of Israel. God physically, physically kept that promise through the seeds, seeds, plural. But Paul said there is a spiritual application. That's his whole teaching here. There is a spiritual application, not to the seeds, plural, as of many, but to the seed, one, which is of Christ. And those of us who are in Christ are part of that collective whole, the seed, capital S-E-D-E-D, of God. God promised us a land. He sure has. Look on further in it. Hebrews 11, it says in verses 8 through 10, By faith Abraham obeyed, and I'm almost through, when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs, the heirs with him and the same, with the same promise. For he waited for the city. Are you ready? For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Wow. The promise of all who are in Christ Jesus. You don't find a city that's been made by God. You don't find a city that has foundations made by God in Israel. You find that as a promise of God who walk by faith, trusting him. Hebrews 11, 11 through 16, I'm getting there. 
By faith, Abraham, or excuse me, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, according to Hebrews, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers, here you are, strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. He's talking about Abraham, could have gone back. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, according to Hebrews. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Who? All who walk by faith. All who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are inheritance or have the inheritance of that city that God has prepared for his own. God has provided a better land for the church. There is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. I'm telling you, beloved, listen, God has given to Israel a physical land, but God has given to us, us who are in the seed, who are in Christ, a land of heaven forever and forever. Christ being the seed, we are in Christ. We inherit that place God has prepared for all who trust him, and I'm going there. How about you? I'm excited about that. God hasn't promised greatness. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter said, God has made us a peculiar people, a chosen people, a holy nation. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter said again, God has made us a peculiar people he's made us a holy nation he has promised a great name the bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of jesus that is the name that is the name of jesus at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord I'm telling you as a Christian as a Christian I have a great land I have a great name I wear the name of child of God Christian I'm not just a Baptist I'm not just an American I'm a Christian I'm a member of a new race of people called Christian. 
I wear his name. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian Baptist. I'm a Christian American because the name that is above every name is the name of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual fulfillment. Seed, and Paul says that seed is Christ. And everyone who is in him receives the blessing of God. It is a covenant of grace. It is a covenant we became a part of by faith. It is a permanent and unchanging covenant that we are his people. He is our God. He provides for us. We have the promise of everlasting life. We have a promise of a city that, whose builder and, and the layer of its foundation is God himself. We have an eternal dwelling place. We will be there with him forever and forever. That is a promise. And as Vance Habner said, upon that rock I stand he is our promise he is our hope he is our joy the law says I'm lost the law says I'm doomed the law says I'm bound for hell but because there's a covenant of grace before the law came Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Thank God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Glory to his name. Let's pray together. Father, there's no way that any human can add anything to your word. There's no way we can take any credit for any understanding of your word. It is all by your grace, by your acts and works in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that truth today. I thank you for a church that stands on these things, believes them, and trust you. May we continue to walk in these truths. May we understand as we serve here, as we follow your leadership, as we, we want to bring glory to your name, Lord, we do it by doing what you tell us and what you've told us to do in your word. Help us to be faithful. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.